Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the What We See podcast, the show that opens the doors into one of the largest technology companies in the world. I'm Connor Donoghue, and today I'm very pleased to be joined by Anthula Madden. Uh, I'll let Anthula introduce herself in a minute, but just as a bit of background, Anthula is a management consultant that has worked in and around the SAP ecosystem and various other uh, industries for a number of years now, and has a very interesting background. She is not only a keen squash player, travel enthusiast, mountain biker, climber, kickboxing, personal trainer, but also a rocket scientist, just to <laughs> put the cherry on the cake. So Antula, you're very welcome to the What We See podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And you are the first and probably the only uh, rocket scientist that I'll, I'll speak to <laughs> <laughs> in this series. So if you want to introduce yourself and to the listeners, that'd be great. Thank you, Connor. Th thanks for inviting me. Um, yes, as you said, my background was in um, astrophysics, then I did medical physics as a doctorate, and then funnily enough, yes, th I then decided maybe the world of research was uh, maybe a bit too vague for me. I needed more short-term goals and targets, so I joined PwC and, yeah, worked through the ranks um, mm. up to director and then on to partner, joined Deloitte then back to PwC. So, so yes, I've had a quite an interesting career. And then the last two years, I was the chief digital officer at Pladis, which is, um, I guess, is the, is the parent company of uh, United Biscuits, Godiva, and Ulker, which is a, a Turkish company. Mm. Um, I, I guess I felt, having been in consulting for over 20 years, if I was ever going to do a real job, <laughs> this was my chance. Um, and so I, I accepted the role because it was genuinely completely interesting. It was a brand new company. So it was about creating something centered around digital mm as the key accelerator of a new company, of new capabilities. So, so in many ways, it was the dream consulting project, if you like. Sure. The difference being I was reporting to the chief exec. So yeah, it okay. was quite exciting as a new challenge for me. Great. And I think we'll probably talk about that experience in a bit more detail later on. But I suppose a good way to kick off the conversation and to give our listeners a bit more insight into Antula Madden and you know, what you're like professionally, what you bring to your customers and your clients. Uh, I heard you speak recently at the Innovation X event, an SAP event, uh, when was it, March? When was it? I believe it was 7th early, of March. 7th of March, early March, yeah. yeah. And during the talk, you mentioned a phrase that innovation is an amplifier of good ideas. Technology. Technology. What did I say? Technology is the amplifier. <laughs> Technology is the amplifier of good ideas. So I really like that for a few reasons, but I'd just like to ask you to expand on that maybe and say, you know, why is technology just the amplifier of good ideas where many people might see it as the solution to the problems? Sure, yeah. I mean, that's a, it's an interesting point to start from. So I guess I felt, having worked on a number of SAP-enabled business transformation projects at, at large clients like Nestle, like Diageo, um, the, the interesting thing is um, clients normally saw technology as the way to, to take some steps to, to automate things, mm. yes, to get synergies, all of that. But what is critically different in, in, in the digital age is that now... You know, we always said, oh, the business has to be involved and it's got to be business-led. Actually, now, digital is about new business models, and the only way you can bring those to bear is with technology. So you cannot be leading anything from technology. It's got to absolutely be led by the business, and technology is the amplifier. I was at the Gartner Symposium in Barcelona in November, and their new philosophy is, they call it continuous next. Mm -hmm. We're now on a path of continuous evolution and adaptation, I guess, yeah. because it's very hard now to predict the future. Future. So what you need to do is have a, a collection of digital capabilities that you can use to essentially um, enable uh, 
various business models. So it's no longer about one business model. You need to be having several business models coexisting. You need to be much more like experimental. So the equation they actually shared at the symposium, which I thought was great, was mindset plus capabilities amplified by technology is what will give you the growth, the innovation. Mm. So it needs to be completely embedded in the culture, mm. in the way of thinking, and in the business model. And that's the only way you can then start having this spectrum of experimentation, mm. if you like, yeah. of different business models. Yeah, and I think that mindset shift, I think, is a point that will probably be reoccurring throughout the conversation, that if you're going to do anything transformative, that mindset, that open mind set has to be throughout the organization embedded as part of the culture, as you said. Mm -hmm. But how, you know, across the various projects you've worked on, number of different clients, the best, the ones that have been most successful, how have, how has the business managed to achieve that there's a general consensus that, okay, this is our mindset or, and this is the approach we're taking. Because uh, that could be one person might have it, but not the entire team or not the entire business or not the entire division. Or, you know, does it come from the top down? Does it come from the project team? Where does the, the, op the mindset, the positive mindset or that, the required mindset come from? Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's a very good question because I think it's a critical ingredient of success. So I think, first of all, it does need to be led top down. Somebody needs to have the vision of this is what we want to be, this is the direction of travel, mm -hmm. and to be able to get there, these are the capabilities we need, and this is why digital or technology is critical. But then you do need to embed the right key people in the project that can kind of uh, transmute uh, that message down to, to the troops, to everybody in the organization. Mm. And it needs to be very visible and very active. And I know, you know, people talked endlessly about change management before. Mm. But it's, it is about a mindset shift. Mm. And the more people you, you engage and kind of um, make a, a critical part of the project, the easier it is to actually get that momentum and critical mass to drive the change. So you need some enlightened lieutenants, I think, under the leadership team across the functions who understand that by, by creating this, by implementing this platform, by implementing these capabilities, this is what it will enable us to do. Mm. And then they slowly bring people with them yeah, I was at an interesting um, uh, business meeting where, yeah, we said rather than have these mega change programs now, the change really needs to be embedded in a transformation program. But you can drive change through small conversations almost mm. by engaging people in this is what it means for you. When you're outside the office, you're a digital consumer, right? We all are now. Mm. We're using Instagram, we're using Facebook, we're buying online, we're using eBay. We are using Alexa. So why is it that you come into the office and suddenly all of those things are disconnected? Yeah. So, so by actually getting people to understand that this is the way life now is completely embedded in life technology. So how does that change the way we think and the way we do things? Mm. And trying to bring that mindset into the organization as well. Yeah. And the value it can unlock by making things easier and giving you back time to think, time to experiment time to trial out different things when you're not sure exactly where it's taking you. Yeah. So, so I think the critical change is that rather than thinking, I need to implement this, and, and this business model is a very solid thing, I think there is a, clearly an underpinning business model, operating model, but it's about how do you have a collection of capabilities mm -hmm. with a, which are really building blocks that can enable multiple business models. So I always say that at Platis, we need to, the mindset shift is from build to last to build to adapt. And that's why cloud is critical. You, you, you know, before people built this platform, it was all in-house, you own all the infrastructure, and then you take ages to upgrade, it's very difficult to change, you took so long to standardize, you then, you're too scared to change stuff. Mm. While if you have a slightly more fluid approach to it, of kind of these are the key principles, and these are the key capabilities, but actually I want it to be in the cloud, and it's not just about one thing, it's about 
a, a series of building blocks, which are the capabilities you need to execute in a digital world. But then depending on the channel, say if you are an FMCG company, yeah. One channel could be the big retailers. Fine, there's one operating model to, to work with them. One channel could be e-commerce. There's a different set of capabilities. One channel could be Amazon or could be mm. something else. It could be Uber doing some deliveries mm. for you. How do you have a collection of capabilities that you plug and play as you want to execute yeah. a, a different um, mm. a way of delivering a service yeah. rather than just a product to, to a consumer run experience? Yeah. So this is the huge mindset shift that it all needs to be a lot more fluid but underpinned by common platform mm. by common data and this is why the insight is also important how do you make that seamless across all those channels yeah. so that the brand experience is the same and the look and feel is the same even though the channel is different consumers don't think in channels they'll research online they'll pop into the store they may then look at some forum they look at the review on amazon mm. then they may go online or in the store to buy something you just don't know how they will behave you know? and it, in order to deliver a good experience the brand has to deliver a consistent experience across every channel no matter where the consumer at the end point is going to actually transact with the company they want they just want the product or service but they could have multiple different interactions and touch points Absolutely. Yeah, and the technology there has to facilitate mm -hmm. that. I think, no, I, I like what you're saying there about, you know, the companies have to have that adapt mindset. But, you know, I suppose the pushback from the business is that, you know, that's risky, you know, and our core competency, the business might perceive their core competency to be in retail. We're a retail business. Uh, we have been for a hundred years. Customers come through the door, they buy stuff off the shelves, and that's what we're good at. We don't really know anything about e-commerce. We don't know anything about subscription models. How, why should we go down that route which, where it's not playing to our strengths? Mm. You know, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> look, I, I understand it's, um, it is a big, um, it's a big transition for a company mm. to stop thinking in just one dimension or one channel. But, but I think it's, it's critical because that's, how, that's what consumers now expect. We live in the mm. instantaneous 24-7 world. Mm. Consumers expect they want something, they want it now. They don't want it in a month's time. They don't want to have time to go to the high street. Sometimes they want that experience but sometimes they just want it today, tomorrow. So, so that needs to be fluid. But you're right, the way I drew the, um, you know, the capabilities we needed um, at mm -hmm. Pladis, I drew kind of three concentric uh, circles. At the heart of it, you've got the digital core. The digital core is about brilliant basics. So you need your core capabilities in the business, you know, your supply chain, your finance, your procurement, that's about synergies and economies of scale and needs to be executed well. Mm. So that's the common core you need to have. It needs to be solid based on a, on a good technology platform like the SAP S4HANA Cloud. You know, it's really important you've got that embedded. But then around that, you've got a, a circle of um, differentiation, which are the capabilities that make you unique. Mm. Why would I choose your brand, your product, your service versus yeah. somebody? else's what is it is it the experience is it the features is it the customer service um, is it the way you plan and execute um, so so that kind of being clear what are your differentiating capabilities as a company is it your values you know it's important and very uh, hard to define define for a company I'd say exactly because you ask different people from different departments they might someone in I don't know, marketing might say, you know, our differentiator is our brand value in the market. But then you ask someone in finance that, oh, no, it's our ability to process a thousand invoices in a second is our differentiator mm. and collect cash. Or, but you might ask someone from the service side, it's, you know, it's our customer satisfaction. Or, you know, everyone has a different view on what their core competency is and what are the differentiating factors for that business. So, I suppose that's another challenge is getting the business to agree 
Am I right? With is that what you've seen? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, so you're right. There's, um, yeah. So, 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 so actually, you're talking about. It's an interesting thing that customers and consumers may have different expectations. Actually, mm. so how do you then speak as a brand and as a service to multiple audiences and be be able to personalize mm. and deliver what they are expecting? If if that makes sense for you, I guess mm -hmm. because you're right, you can't be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you dilute everything. But you do need to pick the key areas where you do want to differentiate yourself. Mm. And whether that's a brilliant um, collaboration with retailers, whether that's a great consumer experience, while whether it's because the brand stands for something that's quite unique. Mm -hmm. um, if I look at, say, I don't know, innocent drinks or hotel yeah. chocolat, mm. or th you know, things that are, are trying to be a bit different yeah. and stand for some values like purity, you know, good ingredients, health, yeah. well-being, whatever that might be. So, so, the, so it's critical you understand that diversity and then pick where you want to, to differentiate yourself, which is why the third circle, I call it the circle of innovation, and it's, all the, it's the circle that touches your customers and consumers. And that circle, not all, and, and, and in a way, enables you to engage and have a dialogue mm -hmm. with your customers and consumers. It's the channel, it's the online, it's the Instagram, it's wherever you're getting feedback and engagement and dialogue mm -hmm. with your customers and consumers. So this is why data and analytics has to be embedded at the heart of every business model now. Because mm -hmm. unless you can take that data and turn it into insight around a market, a channel, a consumer segment, a customer, how can you decide how to position yourself and how can you decide that this is what makes me unique compared mm. to my key competitors? Mm -hmm. You're right. You need to understand that. Mm. And actually, that's what gives you the insight to be able to start yeah. understanding and adjusting, which is why all these capabilities. Now, if you just focus on the core, yes, you've got brilliant basics. Is that enough for growth in today's highly competitive marketplace, I would say no. Mm. Without that consumer layer and the understanding of how do you differentiate yourself, I think it's super difficult to actually be able to speak to different segments. Yeah, yeah, and as you said, mentioned before as well, starting with you know, the business model should be driven by starting with the consumer, the mm. end consumer, yeah. and working backwards Exactly, exactly. Rather than taking the, the sort of inside out approach of saying, okay, What's our, how, what's our customer need? How do they <clears throat> get our product? What do they want? When do they want it? Asking all those questions and really putting that at the center of any sort of transformation project, which makes sense. But I suppose, is, has it always been that way? It hasn't really. In fact, I'm, I'm always staggered how, how many clients I go into mm. and the customer or consumer doesn't feature in mm. any of the, the strategic principles. And you think, what is your raison d'etre, if you like? Why? Yeah. What is it that you do? I mean, it's really interesting at Pladis, we used Amazon. Amazon have a unique way, mm. which is well publicized. It, there's a book called The Amazon Way, which actually is all about you start from the customer and work backwards. Yeah. And Jeff Bezos has laid out this vision. They want to be the most consumer-centric organization in the world. And it's a completely different mindset shift of the customer wants it to be cheaper, wants value, wants to be a seamless experience. So everything you suggest, the first lens or filter mm. is the customer or consumer. And, and then when you try to apply that principle to some of your, say, R&D ideas, yeah. you realize, why, why is this different? You know, why is this adding value? It's not, we shouldn't be doing this. And, and this is why you have to listen to your customers. I mean, I remember when Burberry first went online, everybody was saying none of these highly wealthy individuals who shop regularly at Burberry would bother to go online. Yeah. And what they found was exactly the opposite. There was a huge growth in online because mm -hmm. actually those people are kind of very time limited. So they wanted all their research online, even buy online a lot of stuff. And then maybe they want an easy, easy way to return or they just want to go back to the store and yeah. maybe return once they've done their selections, once they've had a good idea of what's the choice, what yeah. do I want to do. So, and I think in today's world, we, we are all consumers, so we all sort of recognize this. We all buy stuff from Amazon. I think 
I, I don't know one single friend who doesn't buy stuff regularly from Amazon. No. It's just so easy. Yeah. Uh, similar with eBay, buying and selling mm-hmm. stuff. So, so we all expect it now, this omni-channel world, because it's not multi-channel. The channel, you know, um, consumers think in brands or in the service they want. They don't think in channels. I'm going to go online now and I'm going to go offline. It's more of a seamless transition between all these different sort of um, uh, ways to engage. So this is how you need to be thinking that the channel is irrelevant. It's about the brand experience, the offering, the value proposition, which becomes more and more important, what you stand for and what is it that you're offering. Yeah, and just one thing there I picked up on, and your Cloudus experience as chief digital officer there, when you're speaking about the end customer, are you speaking about the person going into the shop to buy uh, the chocolates or the biscuits, or are you talking about the retailer buying from Platus directly in a wholesale capacity or both? Or Well, I guess both. So, so, we, use, so we use the term customer to mean yeah. the retailers and the term consumer to mean the end okay. consumer. So I use that distinction So because, yeah, as you say, there's one business model mm. in how you engage with your customers. Your biz- the it, businesses you the, supply. Exactly. B2B. So the more B2B experience. Yeah. Or it could be B2B2C if one of those is your channel to market. So Cado, for example you can sell through Ocado a, a number of your ranges. They are not a supermarket, yeah. but they are a channel for you. But they are a customer that then reaches the end consumer. Yeah. Um, while, um, yeah, say Godiva have their own website as well. So there's a direct interaction B2C. with the consumer, which okay. is direct B2C. So yeah, so consumer would be the end consumer. Customer is the retailer okay. or else the channel. If Amazon is a channel, yeah. then that would be a customer. And again. the technology has to support all three channels or all four channels, no matter how many channels you have, the technology has to power all of them equally and sufficiently to deliver the same experience, regardless of whether you're a consumer, like me, buying mm-hmm. directly, or someone from procurement in Ocado who's engaged with Plattus and Rediva to, to buy the actual product to resell. Exactly, which is again, the mindset shift is not just in how you think about your business models, that all these different business models now need to coexist. It's also around your enterprise architecture and the fact that just having brilliant basics in the core Mm. is not enough. That's why in digital and in cloud, you need to start talking about platforms Mm. because it's not about just having your own solution. In today's world, you need an ecosystem of partners. So so you need a platform through which you can use all these different partners uh, and channels to market. You can't just be thinking about your own solution. And you need to be thinking about how do I understand the end consumer, understand the customer, understand the market, and take all this data to synthesize and um, get insight and then deliver the right experience mm. through the right channel to the right segment of customer or consumer. Yeah. So this is now so complicated that you do need a platform. And also you can't have all these capabilities in-house. You know, you can't be Amazon and Ocado and uh, a retail store and an FMCG. It's so super complicated. Maybe you need to pick what you're really good at. Mm-hmm. And what you would be better off using a partner to, to reach that market, you sure. know, if that's Amazon or eBay or, or whatever. So, so this more holistic view of the co- coexistence of various business models and the plug and play capabilities within your platform and ecosystem to be able to deliver that is for me the big mind shift, which is why digital needs to be embedded in business strategy. Mm. It's not a technology once you've thought about the strategy. It's an integral part of your strategy, of your route to market, of how you decide to engage with customers and consumers. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, it's a fundamental mindset shift. And as when you were in your, your role at Plattus, did you find yourself more, okay, you're in there as chief digital officer, but you're, you're developing the vision, you're, de- you're more communicating, the st- developing the strategy and communicating the strategy to make sure everyone's bought into the same vision. So you, are you having conversations with marketing, you're having with sales, with finance, you know, how, how their worlds are going to change with the new technology implemented? And you know, that's, 
you know, was that a new thing for a new, uh, for you for, in terms of your experience, or had you previous engagements with such a diverse uh, range of, of business partners within an organization. So, so you're right, it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, at Pladis it was interesting because I was a chief digital officer, but there was also a CIO. Mm-hmm. And you're right, my key role in the executive committee, um, working very closely with the CMO and the CEO, was really to think about these new business models and consumer and customer engagement. And then about how does the technology and the platform enable it? Mm. Um, and yeah, and my, and part of my key role was yeah, one evangelizing to the business about all these you know multiple business models. Mm. But the other one was to talk to different partners. I mean, I mentioned Amazon were critical in trying yeah. to influence our thinking. Um, SAP, um, in fact, yeah, the SAP chief innovation officer worked closely with us as we were thinking through the business model and through cloud. Um, we, as I said, we talked a lot to Amazon. We talked to Microsoft. We we just basically, my, my job was essentially to also explore all these channels to market and, and the partners that should be within that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I felt I was really more the the cog between the business and technology. Yeah. I didn't really own the technology. The CIO owned the technology. Yeah. I owned the, how do you bring the technology and the business together to yeah. do something different? You were the, the salesperson. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I was the evangelist, exactly. <laughs> so how does, the, how does a, a trained rocket scientist, <laughs> PhD uh, in medical physics, how do you end up as a technology evangelist? You know, that's, it seems like worlds apart. And yeah. it, was this always <laughs> the, the sort of long the vision you had for your own career or is it just the way it happened and the way the the world has moved and you found yourself in this position <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting question yeah just kind of you know how life happens sometimes so yeah i studied um astrophysics because yeah. i was always fascinated by by einstein and i was i really wanted to understand the universe and i loved maths and physics mm. so it, it it was kind of I, I just wanted to do it i wanted to really understand it but then of course after the first degree you think Mm, it's time to come down to earth and think what to actually do. <laughs> Pardon <laughs> Literally, the <pun>. exactly. <laughs> Pardon the puns. Um, so, so then I did a PhD in medical physics. That was at the Institute of Cancer Research, looking at MRI before and during cancer therapy, looking at the blood flow and how cancer develops its own blood flow and therefore manages to basically um, expand within your organism. And then what can you do, I guess, to, to deal with that? Um, but as I said, uh, I, kind of towards the end of that, I felt I could see my whole life in front of me in a way. Mm. This is what you do. And it's quite open-ended research. So I just feel I'm more a person who's motivated by shorter-term challenges. Yeah. And consulting, I also love, as you said, love traveling and exploring. So consulting was a natural choice in a way. And interestingly, there's a lot of physicists in consulting. Mm. Because what you need really is the analytical skills. So you need analytical skills that can, yes, take a whole bunch of information and synthesize mm. different ideas and think about different concepts. So actually, I loved consulting, both because intellectually it was a great challenge. It included a lot of the traveling and diversity and variety I like. And actually, every project is different. The client is different. The problem is different. The personalities around the executive team you're engaging with is different. So I think it's a it's a multi-sensory challenge, mm. if you like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and conceptual sort of challenge that uh, I loved. And I've always loved consulting because of that. Sure. Uh, so, so that's how I kind of ended up in that. And SAP was a complete uh, chance you know it's kind of do you want to get involved in this project and it happened to be an SAP project when I was a junior consultant and here I am today (laughs) (laughs) obviously studying something like physics astrophysics PhDs in medical physics like that you obviously have a big brain and a brain that's capable of doing complex things and but does the consulting roles you're in is it sort of scratching that or satisfying that part of your brain that intellectual side the academic side the the big physical physics questions the big astrophysics stuff you know it it rarely touches it i'd say but maybe in a different angle i guess in in a different angle in that there's still a business problem to solve Mm. and it's also how do you 
apply the technology to solve that problem. Mm. And I guess with digital, much more in that all the, the analytics side now, what are the things you want to understand? How do you use the technology? And then you can take that a step further to how, how does technology today actually transform life? Mm. If you think about driverless cars, if you think about healthcare, how mm -hmm. could it transform healthcare with AI? with predictive analytics around some of the solutions. So, so there is, a, I guess, a more conceptual challenge now of how do yeah. you bring all these things together? And then what are the challenges with that? I mean, driverless cars, you know, who's liable? Mm. You know, how do you deal with insurance? How do you take decisions? in a world like that you know clearly it's different i still keep an interest in science and yeah. astrophysics and space exploration i love brian cox I always big fan of brian cox absolutely as well. yeah, yeah i always watch uh, you know some of his things and i yeah so so yeah i mean you can um, you can bring other sort of other aspects of your life i guess to, to take it but what i do like about consulting is the fact that it is a, a challenge in terms of communication in terms mm. of solving a problem in terms of finding solutions which really is, mm. is the scientist in me is trying to always find solutions yeah, and yeah. I, and you need to adapt your style it's normally a multinational project yeah. and i love traveling so it's normally fun so all of these things together i love the varieties yeah, which is yeah, great yeah you know, typically you think of an astrophysicist or a physicist as someone who is massively academic, highly intellectual, very capable at doing complex calculations, etc. But you don't see them, or you know, stereotypically, you don't see them as someone who's a speaker or a communicator or you know, someone who can sell a vision or a plan or a strategy. Whereas, I suppose, maybe that's a side of the consulting job that you like and look at Brian Cox as well, someone who he sort of made a career now out of being very good on <laughs> TV and very presenting well. And I suppose he's probably a bit different because he started off in a pop band as well. Yes. <laughs> While he was a physicist, he was also a... Yeah, he's a, rock, a rock rocker as well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's an unfair stereotype on physicists, <laughs> is it? It is actually, it's interesting you, you make that observation because I found, um, yeah, when I first decided I'm going to switch to consulting, you go to a few interviews and you, you're right, their biggest reservation is that you're a mega introvert mm. that can't talk to people. So you need to get past that barrier. But I think... Um, um, did you have to overcompensate, do you think? I did. And actually, I found initially, you know, I failed a couple of times because I was trying to find excuses about why I did a PhD. Mm. And then after the first couple of interviews where I didn't do well, I thought, you need to be yourself, actually. So the next time I went to an interview, I actually said, look, I come from an academic family. I wanted to do this one because it fascinated me intellectually. Mm. And I really wanted to do it. It was what I really wanted to do. Having done that... I now choose to do something different, mm. that it's still challenging, maybe in a different way. And this is where actually I really respect um, um, Jack Ma, um, the Alibaba yeah. CEO. He always talks now about EQ. And it's true, our educational system is completely skewed to academic right. subjects. Yeah. Do we teach people how to communicate, how to have empathy and emotional intelligence? I think there is an evolution in learning mm. and in the educational system that now needs to take place. Because you're right, um, at a certain level, you can get intelligent people. How do you, however, teach them how to interact, how to communicate? Yeah. Um, and I think I was lucky in joining the big four, you know, any of the big consultancies have a structured program to grow you as a person mm -hmm. as well as a, as a consultant and I think by yeah being at Deloitte and PwC you get that opportunity of you get coaching not just to um not just to be an analytical thinker and have structured methodology, mm. but also how do you communicate, how do you present. And also it's partly experience and self-confidence, let's be honest, we all have to go through that, sure. that learning process. But as you become more confident, um, you then, yeah, I guess you, you feel more comfortable um, communicating with people. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is massively important, as you said. I think not only uh, Jack Ma, but um, Warren Buffett also says if you want to, increase your salary x percent whatever is some quote that the most important skill you can have mm. is the ability to communicate absolutely because i think the intellectual stuff the academic stuff you know, as important as it is 
it's sort of commoditized to a certain extent, and you'll al there'll always be another hotshot physicist or another accountant or finance person who's as good as you, better than you, more than likely better than you. So think to differentiate yourself, the only way to do that is, you know, maybe do what, what, what can't the other people do? And if it's communication, then that's you know, a massive skill that not many people are you know, proficient at. It takes sort of years of honing and fine-tuning until you're confident enough and capable enough to actually communicate clearly and effectively, and enough to get buy-in from an organization to, to lead people, really. Absolutely. To, to get people to believe in, in what you're talking about. And I find that sort of area of business fascinating as well. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a critical life skill. And clearly, I think it is a learning process mm. and a confidence process. Um, but yeah, trying to find the common ground, if you like, mm. to bring people with you it is critical. Um, because interestingly, a lot of senior people, a lot of CEOs are actually introverts. And, and you, you need to find some way to get them to communicate effectively and to get them to share a vision that people believe in. And, and, you know, and, and I think people do it in different ways. You know, there's all kinds of different types of leadership. Mm. And it doesn't mean you need to f fit into one model. And the other thing is, you will never be good at everything. I always think what you need is the right team around you. You need to be honest with yourself, and hopefully you need to find people who will be honest with you. Mm -hmm. This is what you're great at. This is, not, this is what you're not so great at. But by the right team around you, you can hopefully strengthen. And it's always good to have people in your team who are different to you, both because they teach you different things, but also they see things through a very different lens. So, mm -hmm. for example, as you say, I've got a, a strong background in science, but when you've got people in your team with a strong arts background, even their lens on, you know, you think, I understand this, and then they bring a completely different dimension. You think, wow, I, I never thought would, of that. Or would never have thought of that. Would yeah. never have thought of that. Yeah. Because you are geared in a certain way. We all are. Mm. We've got all these, I suppose, our experience teaches us to cope mm -hmm. and analyze situations in a certain way. And when somebody brings something of different, I think, wow. And I guess this is it. I mean, in, in fact, I also um, heard Jack Ma say, we need to start teaching people to learn how to learn because we can't predict now the world of the future. So the only certainty is that it will be different and that there will be different things we need to learn as mm. we evolve through our careers and our lives. So it's more about how do you create a learning culture? And this is the big change management um, culture shift in an organization. Yeah. It's not about you going nine to five doing your job anymore. It's about going in, thinking I'm going to learn something, I'm going to apply new ideas, I'm going mm. to experiment, I'm going to try A, B or C, and I don't know which one is going to work, yeah. but I'm comfortable trying out stuff. It's a completely, again, we're back to the mind shift now. Yeah, and, and the more you go down that route, it's the more that if it's a business transformation project, the technology becomes invisible and becomes increasingly less and less important as the key component of a success of that successful project it's the the bigger vision the technology is just the stuff that powers it in the background like when we're using our consumer technology all the time you know we mm -hmm. we just want to listen to music we go into open spotify search something quickly bang there it is whatever's the technology that's powering all that that's fine we just expect that as a given and like in the business transformation project we just mm -hmm. want to be able to deliver X product to these customers or these consumers, and however we get there, fine, it should work. That should be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but technology or projects, transformation projects in the past have probably have too much of a focus on the technology, or they play too big a, a influential part of the overall picture, and whereas the main objective might get lost a bit. Uh, absolutely, you're you're right. Um, before. 
especially, I think this is where cloud is transformational. It's not just about giving you the technology capabilities. It enables you to free yourself from all this thinking around what do I do with the infrastructure? Mm. What should I buy as the platform? What do I do with all the networks and whatever? Just get rid of all that. It's completely non-differentiating, mm. you know. Buy a cloud service and then, and then focus on the platform and the capabilities you need and focus on your business model. Because you're right, people kind of said, this is our vision, this is what we want to do, defined it, and then over to IT, see you in a year's time. Yeah, and you come back with gigabytes and terabytes and different connectors and where that stuff isn't, that's just a commodity that isn't going to change your business. Really. Exactly. And, and really, you know, coming back to the digital core is not the differentiation. The mm -hmm. digital core is the brilliant basics. And how you do invoice processing or how you do procurement or whatever is not the thing that's going to differentiate you to the consumers. So you want to do it well, but why not just pick a best practice, you know, like you know, a best practice process and package that gives you that brilliant basic quickly mm. so, so because you want to embed the core very quickly into your business and move to the outer layers, the differentiation, the innovation. If you spend two years getting the core in place, you're too late. In this world, you're too late. Everything mm -hmm. is moving so fast. You want to do that quickly, which is why the, the cloud solution, I think, is transformational. Um, because then you can say, right, I'm going to adopt, not adapt, that standard best practice business model, that gives me my core. Mm. And what I'm really going to focus all my energy on is that 20% of differentiation innovation mm. that will make the difference to my customers and consumers and bottom line. That's what's going to drive growth. That's what's going to mm. drive the brand differentiation. So, so yeah, you, pe people seem to get completely stuck in the core yeah. when actually that's not the value add. You it's want to move on from that. I, I, could you just give, I'd say, Last sort of topic on the uh, point on this topic, uh, that innovation layer, that differ differentiation layer, is there what would be the best example of that, or one or two examples of you know a business process or something piece of differentiation that you know really sort of illustrates what you mean by having this differentiated layer separate to the core. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let me give you a couple of examples. So one would, could be the, the recipes, the recipe management system. If you are uh, differentiated, you know, is your, say, your chocolate, then, you know, the recipe management, the innovation around the, the recipes to create new products, new mm. ingredients, that whole R&D side yeah. is, um, is one of the differentiators. So, so, so that is unique to you. And you may want to spend more time on that. Sure. The, the other one could be the data analytics, the, how you take data, synthesize it, and drive insight to different parts of the business. We should be innovating more in this area. Consumers want this from our service. Consumers prefer this channel in this market because of X, Y, Z, I don't know, whatever that is. Yeah. So, so I think those, the, the other thing could be your supply chain. If you're better at collaboration and at bringing together different channels to market and capabilities to be able to um, deliver the right product at the right time through the right channel to consumers, that could be a differentiator. Okay. Um, you know, so it could be your style or, you yeah. know, if you're Zara, I mean, uh, you know, Zara One has a brilliant supply chain, mm -hmm. six to eight weeks. They deliver completely new designs. And then the designs are brilliant, you know. And then you know there will be new designs in eight weeks. So they always say, if you see something you love in Zara, go and buy it because you may never find it again, <laughs> you know. So it's, again, it's brilliant. Yeah, you create yeah. demand. You create yeah. a shortage mindset. Yeah. Not sure how good that might be for the environment <laughs> in the long term, but... <laughs> That's another another debate mm. to be had. Um, on that recipe management thing, so are you saying, okay, if you're seeing shifting consumer trends, twenty nineteen, oh, we don't ha we don't have a vegan chocolate on our menu, exactly on our uh, on our price list. How can we? develop quickly a vegan chocolate. Exactly, a vegan chocolate, or there's a lot more shift to, I guess, pure ingredients. And is it the ability for the business to quickly adapt to new trends, 
uh, build a recipe and execute on that recipe to deliver a product. Exactly. I think I'm trying to remember. It was one example where actually the the request... Oh, oh, right. I've just remembered what it is. Dairy-free ice cream. Mm. Apparently, I I think it's Unilever, they created the dairy-free ice cream because they were scraping data from different social media forums. And of course, they then, yeah, they found consumers saying, why isn't there a dairy-free ice cream? Yeah. So so that's one idea, but you're right, or a a sugar-free one, Mm. or a vegan one, or... um, or uh, there's a trend more towards um, dark chocolate yeah. or protein enriched because you want it as a, either as a recovery drink after exercise yeah. or as part of a healthy lifestyle. Whatever that might be, the, the quicker you take that idea from the social media forum and apply it, you could be first to market, you yeah. can adapt your product, your recipes. So that's what I'm saying. And then you can... Yeah, you can say then it's sustainab- uh, sustainably sourced. Mm. You know, for example, um, Waitrose mm. have a, a from farm to fork yeah. kind of sustainable supply chain, full traceability. All of these things are becoming more and more and more important to consumers, basically. Yeah. No, it's massively interesting. I think you've given some very, very uh, clear examples and real sort of eye-opening insight into what goes on at one of these business transformation projects in real life, and it's a great story. But I just want to finish there, but whilst I have an astrophysicist, (laughs) (laughs) a rocket scientist, we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but light years. Uh I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here now, Antula, but can you explain to me in relatively simple terms what a light year is? Wow. I'm going to have to go back a while now, <laughs> but I believe it's the... Because I'm very interested in when someone says, okay, that's, that star you're looking at is four million light years away. And I don't know if that means it's four million kilometers or four billion kilometers. Wow. And I, I seriously don't remember that. But I believe the way they measure it is... Um, yeah, how long um, a time does it take f- for light to travel yeah. in in time for us to be able to see an object, and 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 so so yeah. So if the the measurement is a is a year, then you would say in uh, in our lifetime is X number of light years. So to for us to be able to see that star today, that that photon. Yeah. started traveling, I don't know, a hundred light years. Yeah. So a hundred years before, so before we were even on the planet, it started traveling towards us so that we can see today. It's just incredible. Oh, it's it the same thing as the black hole. I, yeah. al- I was always fascinated by this. Why is it black? Because the gravitational field is so strong, not, not even, even light can escape. That's you know? crazy. So it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and this is what's unbelievable about astrophysics and mm. I think Brian Cox has done an incredible job mm. of making as you say such a difficult subject so accessible and getting you know the wider population mm. so excited about it he's a celebrity now people like people would buy I'm sure he'd sell out arenas and stadiums he's for got lectures. a tour hasn't yeah, he in yeah, fact he's yeah. on tour at the moment I believe yeah. Um, yeah incredible yeah because it is such a fascinating topic and if you can communicate it in an accessible way People are going to listen. It's people want to listen. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I guess it's a kind of survival instinct thing. I think yeah. people throughout the millennia want to try and understand the universe. Mm. Why are we here? What's our purpose? Mm. How did we come to be? What is our Earth compared to the galaxy? What does yeah. that mean in the, in the and, universe? And the more you go into it, this, the bigger and bigger it gets. It's like, do you think what blows my mind all the time is when you think you're looking at a star, you could be looking at that, that light that you think is one star, like our sun, we're nine planets within, r- 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 what are we, orbiting around one sun, mm. but we're just nine planets within a galaxy of millions of planets, probably, with the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. And then some of the stars, what you see as stars, are other galaxies yep. consisting of billions of planets and billions of stars. It's, it just... The, the numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and just, yeah. 
No, no. it's completely mind-blowing. Mm. That's right. And for you to be able to see that distant galaxy, that light started traveling yeah. probably since the Big Bang, it since might the not beginning even of exist time. Anymore yes. In, in presently. Yeah, it We're could be a red giant now. Exactly. It could have died. It could have, yeah, it's just completely unbelievable mm. how we've managed to observe and explain all these um, yeah. all these principles around yeah, relativity yeah. and gravitation, and and this is why I think Einstein was always my complete idol. He's just absolutely brilliant in in writing such an incredible theory that is still mm. being proven right. Mm. Um, it's, it's just uh, phenomenal, absolutely oh, phenomenal. It is. And that that is is that what sort of excites you on one side is the the physics and the space stuff, and then technology on the other. Where is your interests <laughs> more aligned to it, would you say? Yeah, I mean, clearly both. I mean, yeah, the the astrophysics universe thing will always be an interest because yeah. it, it has been throughout my, you know, since my childhood, basically. Mm. And it's quite fascinating to see its evolution and, and us improving our understanding. On the technology side, for me, it's the ability of technology to, to transform life yeah. as well as uh, help us explain what, you mm. know, what we're seeing in the universe. But if you think in healthcare, potentially how technology can transform. I don't know if you saw, it was on TV one or two nights ago that um, one of the universities now is growing from a few human cells, is growing organs. So you can, you know, if you've got a disease, they can take some cells mm. and start growing in the lab. Um, basically, that body part and what, watch why, why does it develop disease? And then they can try and personalize yeah. uh, medicine depending on your metabolism, uh, the disease you have, your and how your cells and, yeah, yeah. and your genome react to different, um, different remedies. So uh, for me, it's just completely incredible. Yeah. That, um, yeah. I yeah. Every generation always thinks they're living in a, the generation of most change probably but i don't know is this is an exciting time to be alive but i don't know what well, 50 years time where technology will be like the, in terms of healthcare in terms of the universe what we'll be able to see mm. it'll just be I, I, yeah I, trips to, to saturn for the weekend who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well richard branson's close enough to starting a virgin galaxy so that and would be a phenomenal experience. Yeah. Oh, I can't would you imagine. go to space? I'd love to. I'd love to go to space. Yeah. When, when I was young, my dream was to be an astronaut. So yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so you've done Everest Space Camp. Next stop, the Moon slash Mars, maybe. Absolutely, Richard Branson. If you're listening, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff, Antula. Thank you very much for uh, joining me today for this podcast. I think it's been a very interesting conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope the listeners will also enjoy it. Uh, Thank you to the listeners, as always, uh, for loyal following at this stage, which is great and ever-growing listenership. So again, thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Really appreciate it. As always, if you could subscribe, that'd be great. Leave a comment and share it with your friends. Also very much appreciated. And any feedback you want to give me, please just get in touch. I'd be happy to listen. So on that one, thanks very much. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Antula.